uh, Swinford is with us. Good morning. Uh, Greg has uh, been living a life. Uh, I've known Greg for a, Careful. Couple, a couple of years and have watched God sort of wrestle him to the ground. And, and I just thought that it might be interesting to hear a little bit from Greg on his story where he has. Uh, it's just been interesting. And I, I guess I don't want to tell the story for him, but to see God take him on this journey. Uh, and in many ways, the same journey that I was on the last couple of years. And like where God has taken him, where God has him, and where God is going to take him. So, Greg, tell me, uh, what's going on in your life? Wow. Well, um, I have uh, started a nonprofit corporation, organization, um, called Flat Out Missions. And um, it was official a couple of weeks ago. And uh, just walking through doors, serving God in the missions field full-time now. So you, that's what you're doing now. What were you doing a few months ago that led to that moment? Well, actually, it's been quite a journey. Um, I've been in construction for years, years and years, and, and I've always loved it and didn't really quite know why I was doing what I was doing, but kind of the uh, painting has come together here most recently in the last couple of years. I felt God tapping me on the shoulder and... Um, have been really traveled the globe, um, reaching the lives of youth in orphanages, and loved the missions field. But uh, basically, uh, just felt him tapping me on the shoulder and, and quietly whispering in my ear, and and really just didn't have much direction other than, "Hey, I'm here. Uh, I need you." And uh, I just continued to go on about my day. Uh, waking up every day and found myself on a job site 60 feet in the air and hanging scaffold and pouring concrete and and kind of living a life that um, I felt God had me in for the moment but always knew that he was you know there calling me to something that at that point really didn't know what he, he um Greg and I we've had we've had coffees and unpacked things and you know and he was telling me about this well, t can you tell them a little bit about the vision, some of the stuff? Are you comfortable telling what you've yeah, told me? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I don't know where to begin other than just a couple of years ago. Really, it kind of started in a dream. I, Not kind of, it did. I used to, I would wake up in the middle of the night and and some crazy stuff, you know, I felt like, what in the world does all this mean? And I kept having the same ones over and over again. And so I began to think, well, maybe I should journal. Other people are journaling, so... Uh, so I started writing this stuff down and even drawing pictures and things that I would see uh, on the back of people's shirts, as crazy as it sounds, but felt compelled to write all these things down. And uh, turns out, two, about a year and a half, two years later, uh, it is the name of the mission. It is the colors of the mission. Is the call, the, the you know, the call to action, and and the, everything about it is started two years ago in dreams that I had no clue would would uh, be fulfilled today. Hey, uh, Greg told me that he, um, the ministry name, Flat Out, you know, it's how he just wants to live for the Lord. It's just yeah. flat out, which that's if you know Greg, that's how he kind of lives life in general. It's like there's, it's just sort of, you just floors it everywhere he goes. It's just that kind of passion and energy, right. you know, it's two speeds, zero and floored, you know, just ah, let's yeah. go. So it made perfect sense that God would tackle that sort of inner thing inside of him and then turn that into what it is yeah. now. Tell me a little bit about that moment when you realize I'm going to have to quit my job and I'm going to have to take a step out uh, into 
basically, in, in, for lack of a better metaphor, onto water because there really was no safety net. You know, I, I was sitting there thinking, man, God, I'm sure glad that's not me because uh, <laughs> it was a step out onto the water where, you know, failure uh, was not an option. Right. Um, what did that feel like? Like, what were your, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, like walking through that journey? Oh, wow. Fear. Fear, um, I think, probably is the resounding feeling. Um, but uh, it's funny. I had people speak into my life, even from Florida, you know, that at the time I thought they were saying all these things for them, and it turns out it was for me, and, and uh, God was speaking through them to me. Um, so I say fear, probably. Um, and I lived in Joshua, uh, first three chapters of Joshua, for a, a while. Um, and people speaking into my life in those first three chapters, it was amazing. Because in the first chapter, um, the word uh, strong and courageous, those, that term is used four times in the first chapter alone. So I, I learned that, you know what, I, even though I have fear of, of what God is calling me to do, there are a lot of examples of that. Even Moses himself said, you know, I, he couldn't even talk and stuttered and whatever. And he feared, and, um, but was, at the end of the day was obedient and, and stepped out and did it. Uh, chapter 3 in Joshua talks about um, where the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they were to cross the Jordan and I lived in that for a really long time and it occurred to me that funny um, that in chapter 3 um, Joshua has the priest step into the water and begin to carry the uh, Ark into a raging Jordan and it wasn't until they got into the water and was walking out into the water we don't know how far they got I, I like to envision that they were chest high, scared to death, looking back at Joshua and saying, are you sure about this? What are we doing here, dude? Well, then all of a sudden the water stopped flowing. Then it was, it was, it was a sign that God was there and that God was called them to do what they were doing and that he was protecting them. So I lived in Joshua for a really long time and stepping out first, being obedient. Uh, even the day that happened, I remember calling you and, or texting you and saying, Oh my gosh, I can't do this. <laughs> so tell me, this is a good test for you, by the way. They, they tell you when you have a, um, a, like a, a vision or a mission that you're doing that you should be able to give the 30-second the elevator presentation, the three-minute. So what's, give me the 30-second elevator pitch. What is flat out? Like, what is that now? Okay. Well, the 30-second version is really about a four-minute version yet, but I haven't condensed it. The 30-second would be, uh, God calls us to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And um, I believe that that's why the name flat out was given me a couple years ago because I just two months ago realized what it all meant. And because of the word all is being used a lot, you look at the word all or flat out and it means all, all the way, full out, full blast, without reservation. And, and that is the call of the mission. Um, Probably what's in front of me right now, I would say it's building homes. I've, I've got a lot of years of construction background, and I have a heart for people. I've been on the ground three times in four months in Haiti. Haiti keeps coming up, and um, there are a lot of people that need homes. Right now, the uh, call for action for our mission is to build homes for the homeless, to partner with uh, other ministries who currently don't have people to help build homes, and, and love people to the Lord that way. Which is an amazing picture because God has certainly given us a gift of, in helping to, to raise funds for the supplies to build homes. What I've encountered is, is we've got in Haiti, and I had a conversation with Ron 
Michelle about this not long ago, that, that raising the money for the supplies hasn't really been the challenge. It's like, now what do we do? Yeah. You know, Ron yeah. said, he said, I was sitting in the back and watching the video <laughs> of you guys doing a bucket brigade thinking, man, there's got to be a better way to do this, to there, which I said, amen. Yeah, uh, and so really, that's, that is really because of the, um, where the experience comes in is, is coming in with the right equipment. Um, that doesn't, I don't want to, I don't want to go in and Americanize the, the, the call. I want to go in with people who um, have a knowledge of what's going on, but my overall goal is to hire Haitians in their local community, train them up on what to do and how to do it, pay them to work, and this now becomes a living for them. And look, from what I've seen, there's no way we're going to change it tomorrow, next year, five years, unless God says it's going to happen and he comes, and it, and it, and it happens. Um, flat outs are doing this for generations to come. We're going to try to plant seed, love people, train, educate, and hopefully um, we're long gone. Um, generations to come, then that has changed the way things are. And I can't, through flat out, we can't do it alone. Um, there's a big disconnect in, mis in ministries in Haiti even right now, huge disconnect. And that too for us is, is our call, is yeah. to, to grab hands of other ministries bring them together and say, I know that we're all created differently, but we need to be plowing in the same direction, and that's not happening. So, so to wrap it up, obviously God has called you out here. You're walking on water. Um, as a church, and I've talked about this before, that part of, we don't have a lot of programs here. That's um, good. Because I feel like we could get really busy with, you know, our programs. But part of what I feel like the Lord has called us to do is to say to guys like you, okay, God is wrestling you to the ground to, to do something for him. How can we then as a church support that? Like instead of us, you know, you're not going to find us issuing edicts from, you know, here's our programs. It's rather, okay, what is it that God's doing in you? And if it is something that God is, resonates with us, how can we then support that? And that becomes the quote program. How can we as a church best support you, your family, flat out? Um, really the biggest thing is prayer right now for us. You know, there's, there's kind of two meetings behind Flat Out that God's revealed, you know, over the last, really just down to the last few weeks now through going through the, um, you know, incorporating and incorporating a, a nonprofit and now into a 501c3 application. It really makes you sit and think. And prayer uh, has, has really is our second call. Um, uh, in First Thessalonians 5, you know, God calls us to pray without ceasing. Um, and it's funny, in the last week or two, God's revealed to me that flat out, in Matthew 26, Jesus himself, even the hour of his betrayal, um, walked away and he said he was going to go pray for the last time. And he literally was on his face, flat out. And I thought, wow, prayer's huge. So prayer for us um, is, is essential. We need all the prayer we can get, all the prayer partners we can get. And, of course, obviously eventually financial support down the road but for now just pray that that um that this call is is fulfilled the way god wants it and a uh, and to be utterly humble throughout the process because it's not about us it's not about flat out and it's not about me it's about you know people loving god and meeting him well let's start let's pray let's pray for uh pray for greg and his family and the ministry. Lord, we just, um, just, just like we saw in, in Acts, that when Paul and Barnabas were sent out, it, it was the church praying 
and fasting and, and, and through that sent them out. So where we lift up the Swinford family in flat out uh, being sent out by the Holy Spirit and also sent out by us as a, as a body of believers. And I, and I think that that means uh, when we send our troops to the front line, Lord, we don't send them empty-handed. We send them with supplies, with provision, with support, with connection, um, communication. Please uh, allow us to know how to do that as a church body to best support flat-out missions um, in prayer as well as in quite literal support. Uh, we just ask for your safety, for your provision, and uh, Lord, just most of all for your, for your, uh, your leading on Greg. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Congratulations, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> Consider yourself sent. <laughs> if you would open to the book of Acts this morning, I asked Greg to, to share because this is so germane to what's happening in all of our lives. And as I've talked to many of you in this room, there's that being sent out component that's happening. In Acts 13, verse 1, it says, In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers and Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus and when they arrived at Salimus, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And John was there and was their helper. So Jeremy and I just returned this week from uh, living out a Stephen Curtis Chapman song, The Great Adventure. Um, we had uh, basically went to the Big South Fork National Park uh, at a, a part of a pastor's retreat. And we stayed at the Cherit uh, Creek Lodge. And if uh, you ever want to go there, man, I wish you the best of luck in finding it. Uh, because you basically go on I-40 East, you go to Crossville, and you turn left. And you go about 55 miles. Uh, AT&T customers can wave goodbye to their service right pretty much when you take the exit. And you go 50 miles north, and uh, you're not there yet. You then need to unpack your stuff and put it on a pack mule. Um, or something that is extraordinarily four-wheel drive, and then get on a horse and ride another 15 miles, 18 miles, whatever, into the bottom of this, um, what do we call it around here, a holler? Um, to the bottom of this place, which is where the Cherit Creek Lodge is located. And it's a place that was built, I don't know, 200 years ago at least. Like, it is super old. Uh, Civil War battles fought there. Um, no electricity. Uh, there is running water, but in running in the sense of gravity, running it down a hill. And, uh, and then, don't get me wrong, there were some other, there were, like, there are new updates made to it somewhere, you know, I don't know, 1920 uh, or so, when they built a cabin down by the river. And, and that's where we stayed, in this little bunkhouse, and, and there's this dude that lives there that it wasn't as creepy as you would have expected for somebody that lives here for, like, he's lived here nine years. Like, when I first met him last year, I had this vision of him sitting out in his cabin with a giant hole in the ground petting his puppy, 
saying it wants to put the lotion on, you know, like that old scary movie. Anyway, sorry. Uh, but, it, but, it wasn't, but it wasn't that at all. It was like he actually turned out to be semi-normal. Like he wasn't hiding from the law. Can we strike that from the tape? He, he wasn't hiding from the law or, the, or taxes. And, and, and it, it turns out he actually happens to be a really, really, really good cook, which is great because it was like sleeping at the Cracker Barrel. Like you'd wake up every morning with a rocking chair and like things that uh, gravy-like substance and then uh, and he'd pack a lunch, and then at dinner, it was more like gravy-like things. And there's certainly not a good way to, to, to lose weight, that's for sure. So um, we get there. There's 11 of us. We're all like pastors. And we kind of had this vision of us being a posse until I kind of realized we're more like the starter kit posse. Like we weren't, you know, like preschool's my first posse. Like we weren't the real posse. We would have been the, the, the C-string posse. Like when the real posse went to go get the bank robbers, we would have probably been sent like to get the guy that stole the chickens or something. Like we would have been something not nearly as crucial. So that was us, and, uh, and we're now embarking on horseback. Now, last year I had a horse named Spur, okay? Spur was, uh, I don't know, worthless? And it was, <laughs> it was sort of, like, let me phrase that. If... If, if your definition of, of Spur doing what you wanted to do was defined as what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, and as soon as he wanted, you know, as fast as he wanted to do it, then that was great. Spur was that. It was almost like a, uh, like a ticket person at a major airline counter at the airport. You know, they'll get to it eventually. And so that was Spur. So this year I'm asking Larry, and Larry, by the way, was our uh, uh, Larry the horse guy, lives up here, literally as crazy as a loon. And lives by himself, has 21 horses, and his own, like, his own lexicon. He was kind of like our John Wayne, right? I mean, he was like our um, Master Yoda on a horse. He had all these uh, sayings and wisdom. And, um, and he would basically end, like, if he was very excited about something, his, his response was, rock and roll. So, like, for instance, if he were a pastor, like, that would be all of God's people said, rock and roll. Like, Paul would have ended all of his letters, you know, greet one another with a holy kiss and rock and roll. And that was pretty much his life. And so I'm saying, Larry, look, I, want, I, I, I feel like I got, you know, I, I was Spur, you know, last year. And I don't want to ride Spur again if I can help it. And, and he's like, wow, I gave you Spur. I wonder why I did that. I must not have thought you could have ride. So he's like, all right, I'm going to make it up for you this year. Christmas has come early. I'm going to give you this horse that was this beautiful white horse that he had called the old gray mare. He actually had other names for it that are not actually appropriate in a church setting. But he said she was mean. And that uh, she, and then his exact words were, um, "This is more woman than you're ever going to be able to handle, young man." <laughs> that was Larry, and I said, "Rock and roll!" So, I, so I get on uh, Old Gray Mare, uh, from henceforth known as OGM, and I, the minute I don't know if you have like the first time you've been in a sports car with a real engine, you know what I mean? Like you just kind of hit the gas, and it's like, and you're like, "Oh my, wow!" This is, and he was right. This was certainly. Uh, a lot of horse because I mean I literally just kind of you could just feel her wanting to go the minute I got on her there was a moment where so last year when I said to, to spur you know I was like yeah like all that stuff you're supposed to do to a horse and spur to be like huh that's interesting I think about that and so I give her like one little and she was gone I mean okay this is this is awesome so literally last year I was more concerned about being lost and separated from the pack because I was so far behind. This year it was I was concerned about getting separated from the pack because I was so far ahead. Like she was literally like just you could just feel it the whole time. Like my legs weren't nearly as sore as my arms from holding her back. Like she just wanted to go. And at one moment I gave her a yeah, huge mistake because 
in her mind, it was like, you know, again, with Spur, that's like an interesting suggestion. I'm going to think about that. She wanted it. Get back to you. She was like, are you kidding me? I've been waiting for this all morning. It just went, and she could feel me begin to not um, have control anymore, which apparently was an illusion to begin with that I ever had any control. And she starts driving me into the trees. Like, she's going to knock me off of this thing and not even feel bad about it. At which point, Larry's like, yeah, I probably should have told you about that. She gets a little carried away, and then when she's done with you, she just wants to dump you in the trees. So I'm like, well, thanks for the heads up. So no more. I didn't give her any more hyas. Um, she was, which I didn't know this was a gig, by the way. Uh, she was the alpha mare. Didn't realize that was a gig for a horse. So she's the alpha mare. And I figured this out because I'm like, Larry, all these other horses keep trying to bite my horse. And they're kicking her, and he's like, yeah, they don't like her at all because when she gets back to the barn, she's so mean to him. She apparently rules with an iron hoof. And so when they, you know, it's like a dictator away from the centralization of power, and now you know, she, they're separated. So, she, you know, so fortunately, I didn't get bit or thrown the whole time. Um, Jeremy only fell off the horse once, but it wasn't his fault. It wasn't. The guy had a, So apparently the horse, when you put the, uh, the saddle on, the horse will swell up and, and then uh, eventually like, release back down again. Well, they, we, uh, Larry, the crazy horse guy, did not check the saddle again. So we're going down the steep mountain, at which point you see Jeremy up in the front go, <laughs> boom. <laughs> so, yeah. Larry basically had two rules, right, which was number one, don't fall off. Rule number two, have fun. He said if we obey rule number one, that rule number two will take care of itself. And his, of course, in his endearing words of wisdom, like, Larry, so how, you know, how do you really keep from uh, falling off? He's like, well, this is real easy. You just uh, watch other people, and when they fall off, don't do what they did. <laughs> Write that down. Interesting note. So uh, this was our week. We literally were there uh, Monday, and we rode over 50 miles uh, through the mountains. It was really great. It was this awesome adventure. Um, can't wait to hopefully do it again. And thanks to Journey Church, actually, because we certainly wouldn't have had the money to pay for that. But Journey Church took us and paid for us. So that was a, it was a huge blessing. And we were, you know, it was a great adventure. To quote the great poet, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, sponsored by the old gray mare. So just like Paul and Barnabas, okay, we were sent out. Now, believe me, there is a tie-in with this, I think. We were sent out. And, and, and just like Paul and Barnabas, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting is that you don't see, like, God giving them some sort of a prospectus. You don't see him giving any sort of a detailed explanation of what to do other than go. Go out. Just like we went to the Big South Fork National Park. Once we got there, we just went. Like, there wasn't, like, a prospectus of you go here, here, and here. It wasn't like a roller coaster. You know what I mean? When you get on the roller coaster, and it's cold, and it's mechanical, and it's exciting, but you pretty much know where you're going to go. It goes that way every time. And as I'm riding the old gray mare, which, again, more horse than I could handle, realizing that that is really this interesting metaphor for how the Lord leads us in that I'm being carried by the Lord. I'm being carried by the old gray mare. Like, she's doing the, the work, but at the same time, I'm doing the steering. Like, there's a partnership with it. Now, keeping in mind, she's more powerful than I am. She is certainly stronger, certainly has the ability to do what she wants, when she pleases, how she pleases, whether or not I please. She had that ability, but there was this partnership thing that was happening. And it hit me that that is exactly how it is as the Lord is leading us. Because he told these guys, go. I'm setting you apart for ministry. But man, the details, those weren't given to them at the start. 
When we went to the Big South Fork National Park, we went there, and then we get there, and it's like kind of up to us and the horse, riding around, figuring it out, moving forward. And I thought, man, that's pretty much how it is on at least my journey with the Lord. Because many in this room, you're saying, I was called to this city. I was called here, but I don't know what to do from here. Like, I don't know what to do next. Some of you are here, you don't even know why you're in this city. Some of you are here, and you think you know why you're here, but you don't know what to do about it. And I think that the Lord has a word just based upon what I see here with Saul, with Barnabas, and how they went. They just, they went. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. And maybe that's where you sit this morning and think, I know God is wrestling in me. I feel this unsettling in my spirit. I mean, I felt it. I felt it for a couple of years sitting in my desk over on Seaboard Lane, you know, working in the music business. I felt this unsettling that something was coming, but I didn't know what. And I wanted more than anything to know. And I know that a lot of you today want anything more than anything to know. And I want to hopefully bring some peace to you this morning and say to you, A, God's not holding out on you, number one. He's not holding out just to be some mean, giant, cosmic buzzkill to keep you from knowing because he's going to hold the information. I think the exact opposite. I think that it's because he loves us, because he's merciful to us, because he wants us to enjoy this adventure that he's called us on. Again, it's a live adventure. It's a live relationship with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit. You don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean, think about your favorite movie, your favorite television series. I know we have a lot of lost people in here. I actually only watched Lost once. It was the final episode. Did it for me. I was fine. I knew everything I needed to know. But a lot of you didn't. And when it came time to the final episode, a lot of you would say, I'm avoiding Twitter. I'm avoiding Facebook. I'm a... Because why? Because I don't want to know how it turns out. I want to find out on my own. And I'm telling you that I think that you say, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. And I think God is saying, great, I'm writing a story. I'm not telling you because this is the best part. The elements of a great story, right, are what? There's the protagonist in it, which is, you know, in this case, you. In your individual story, you're the the one that is the protagonist, the one that is, you know, the the hero, so to speak, the one that is the sort of central theme. Now, each of us, by the way, God is writing each of our stories individually. So each of us have our own movie, if you will, going on. And we'll play supporting roles in each other's movies. I will occasionally play a cameo role. Mine is usually played by Alec Baldwin or Uncle Cracker, depending on who was cheaper at the time. We're playing these supporting roles, so you have the the protagonist, which is you. Then you've got the antagonist, right, which is the, there's, what's going to keep me from getting to this goal? There's got to be something at stake. There's a cost to it. There's, it's keeping me from it, right? And, And in your role, most of you right now are thinking, man, I know that. i got antagonists everywhere. And I'm telling you, this is the best part of the story because this is the, it's all on the line. Is it going to play out the way it's supposed to play out? Can you live in that tension of not knowing? Because at some point there's going to be the M. Night Shyamalan moment in your life, in your movie, where it's all like, oh, I see dead people. That, you know what I mean? Like, the, like that's what that meant. The whole thing, he was dead the whole time, and I'm sorry if you didn't see it. Um, but that moment in your life where it all sort of plays together and that story unfolds. And here's the thing. I'm 39, almost 40. I can see 40 from where I'm sitting. And what I'm here to tell you is that it, if you're young especially, like the first movie you live through, so to speak, that first journey where God takes you somewhere, you've got to think of your life more of like a trilogy. 
or a quintilogy. You got the prequels, the sequels, the halfway in betweenquels. It's your life. It just you go from one to the next to the next, and at the end, it all plays out. And look, I got to tell you, I, I wonder sometimes what it is we're going to spend an eternity doing. Because I don't know if you know about an eternity, but it's a lot longer than we've ever been around. I, I, I hope, I think that some of that eternity will be spent looking at each other's movies, so to speak. Seeing the antagonist, the protagonist, the halfway in between agonist, and seeing it all play out and seeing how our movies intersected with each other. Seeing how this worked out and that worked out and the moment where it was like the aha moment. In a great movie that, where it all plays together. And you begin to look back over it and see, oh, I didn't even notice that there. I didn't even see that here. In Romans 5, Paul is telling us something. He says, and some of you are familiar with this. Romans 5, 1, he says, Therefore, verse 1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice also in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. When I read Romans 5 and I see what Paul is saying there, I see all the elements of a great story. I see that God, as he's writing our story out, you see that perseverance in suffering, there's the antagonist keeping you from where you're supposed to go. Those things that are, the odds are against you. And I gotta tell you, if you're in a situation where the odds are against you right now, that's great. What a better story that is. I mean, wasn't Die Hard 1 the best movie ever? Because there's no way he's going to get out of this. But he did. It was awesome. And I'm telling you, I don't mean to belittle your story by comparing you to Bruce Willis. But, but what I do mean to say is this. I see in Romans 5 this story that's unfolding in my life, in your life. The trilogy, if you will. The moment of, man, i got to persevere. i got to hang in there. And you want to know so bad. I want to know. I'd love to know how this all plays out. I mean, we stepped into this story of Conduit Church much the same way that Greg and Lisa are stepping into their story. You just do it. You just step. And I say that to say that if God is leaning and you're waiting on God to say, go, waiting on God to give me some details, maybe you just need to give your horse a little giddy up and start moving. Just like Paul and Barnabas, when they just went. God set them apart, and God sent them, and they went. And as you look over chapter 13, you realize that each place they came to produced an opportunity that led them to the next opportunity. But let me tell you what, if they just sat around in verse 1 and just prayed and fasted and waited and prayed and fasted and waited, instead of just giving their horse a little kick and moving, they'd probably still been praying and fasting and waiting. And to you where God is wrestling inside of you this morning to go do something Man, giddy up. Give your horse a little kick and just move. And I promise you, it ain't going to be always fun. It isn't always going to be easy. It isn't even going to be safe. But man, wouldn't that be a boring story? 
a million years into heaven, you'd be like, this is time for your story. Like, man, I'm sorry, it was kind of boring because I just really didn't do anything. I just sat around. I apologize. I'll tell you how this one ends. I just sat there. That's not a good story at all. The story of giddy up, just go, just move, and get the old gray mare moving. Because the old gray mare, a.k.a. Jesus, is a great horse. And he is more powerful. And yeah, he's even a little bit dangerous. And he's, a, he's fast, and he moves, and he is speedy. But he is going to take you where you need to go. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, Darren, that's great. So I'm in this story right now. And it was time for me to move, and I haven't. And I'm telling you, that's great. Just start right now. Whatever it is, wherever God is leaning in you, to just start now. And there are those that might be thinking, Darren, man, I missed my chance. I blew it. It was a long time ago. God called me on this long, and I just, I just blew it, and it's too late for me now. And if you think that you have messed up yourself out of God's will, if you think you can, let me, let me say it this way, if you think you can perform yourself into God's sovereignty or outperform yourself out of God's sovereignty, I got news for you. You can do neither. God is that loving. God is that merciful. And if you don't believe me, ask Jacob. Jacob had worked for seven years for the woman of his dreams, Rachel. He saw her at a well with sheep, and she lifted a rock. She couldn't move it. He lifted the rock for her. I mean, I don't know what they, in those days, apparently, if you were a, a shepherd, that was pretty hot. So he thought she was hot because she could be a shepherdess. So he goes and chases Rachel. This is in Genesis. And for seven years, he works his rear end off. And at the end of that seven years, and you know, our customs are a little bit different, obviously, because he wakes up like in the middle of a sitcom to the wrong wife. Because he had been hosed, he had been ripped off, he had blown it. It wasn't, and, and maybe that's you, your circumstances isn't even your fault. I just, I can't figure this out. And so he wakes up, he's got the wrong wife, it's Leah. He's, you know, it's early, the light, he looks over, and blah, it's not even, blah, who are you? This is the wrong wife. And so he works another seven years. He's completely, he's like, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to fix this and make it happen. And he wakes up that morning and he's got Rachel. And in the words of Rich Mullins, man, it is one thing to win him. It's another to keep him content. He's got two wives now, okay? The one of his dreams and the one of his nightmares. The one that he was so ripped off by, Leah. And interesting because the woman of his dreams, Rachel, what does she do? She causes him nothing but misery. She says, man, give me, she can't have children. She says, give me children, else I'll die. She's just harassing him and mean to him. And man, Jay, this is your fault. So this one that was his dreams is all of a sudden not even the one that he wanted to begin with. He's like, man, I can't even take this. And so finally, she has babies, and she uh, has two babies. And then, then there's the maidservant contest, which is time for a whole other conversation. But suffice it to say this. Jacob thought he got ripped off. Jacob thought that his destiny was messed up because of his circumstances beyond his control. But when you get home later today, I want you to notice something. I want you to go to the end of Genesis. I think it's chapter 49. And Jacob, when he's reading out his blessings to his children, and then talks about, now my uh, burial. To, to, he's, he's in Egypt now. Take me home and bury me next to Leah. The, the woman of his nightmares, the thing that he thought was so ripped off by, was the one that gave him Judah as a son. 
And Jesus is a lion of the tribe of Judah. As messed up as he thought his story was, as out of control as he thought his life was spinning, right there in the middle of Judah, I mean of of Leah, is Judah. Bury me next to Leah. His story was unfolding exactly as God had planned, exactly as God was writing it. And Rachel, she gave birth to a son named Joseph. He wasn't in the bloodline of Christ, but theologians will tell you he is the absolute perfect picture of Jesus from the beginning of his life to the end. The picture of Jesus. It was through Joseph that he would save the tribe of Israel. And it's there that we realize this. Two things. One, this story, I might think that I'm the protagonist. I might think I'm the main character, but I'm not. Neither are you. It's Jesus. He's in the middle of your story right now. The ups and the downs, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's Jesus. He's the guy that Joseph, that saved Israel. I mean, this thing that was, this misery, she died. It was this horrible thing in his life. And here from Rachel comes Joseph who would save, save Israel. And if there wasn't Israel saved, there wouldn't be a Jesus to begin with. And then there's Leah, who he thought he got ripped off and gypped by. And she's the one that gives him Judah. And it's Judah that the bloodline of Christ would come through. Jesus is in the middle of your story. Jesus is in the middle of my story. sometimes all we got to do is relax. Stop trying to torture ourselves into figuring it out and just give your horse a little kick and go. And know that wherever you're waving it, whatever you're, as much as you think you're in control, newsflash, it's Jesus who's writing the story. It's a story about Jesus and you will play an important role in it, but Jesus is the star of the movie. And you might think, that's awesome, Darren, but I don't even know where to start. Because I feel like I've made a mess of my life. I feel like I, don't, I, don't even, I have no idea what to do next. I have no idea where to go. And I would say to you and I would say to me in that situation what Larry told me. Because I asked him, Larry, what happens if I get lost? What happens if I do get too far ahead? What happens if I get too far behind? And he said, just let go of the reins. So these horses know where they're going. They'll take you home. So it'll be the ride of your life, but you'll get there. <laughs> and I was reminded what Paul said in Romans when he said in Romans 12, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice doesn't have any control. Just let go. If anything, the sacrifice is tied down. And when I let go, when I tie myself down, tie my will, my decisions down, he says, in, that's in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, offer yourself a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing and acceptable unto you. Talks about renewing your mind, transforming. But then he says, and then, listen to this, and then you will know God's will for your life. His good, his perfect, his pleasing will. Torturing yourself into knowing God's will will do you no good at all. Letting go of the reins and letting him drive you home, that's how you know. Then you will know. It's, it's, like, it's like I'm standing on the side of the pool. I want to get wet. I want to get wet. I want to get, just jump in. Wet comes with the program. When I jump into sacrificing my will, my desires, my deal, my flesh, and just let go of the reins, then I will know his good, his perfect, his pleasing will for my life. Now, will I know it immediately? Yeah, probably not. 
but it'll be the ride of your life. And I promise you, I'm living it right now, that it's an awesome adventure. Your movie won't be boring in heaven. (laughs) And at that moment, when we all have the collective aha moment, we'll do what Revelation says we'll do, which is we'll look to the Lord and say, righteous and true are your judgments. If you're sitting next to Larry, you'll be like, rock and roll, Jesus, rock and roll. Which is just simply saying, man, you were right on, God. At every moment, every juncture, that thing that didn't seem like it made any sense, the Leah's in my life, the Rachel's in my life, Jesus is right in the middle of all of them. And in the meantime, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this church is what it's going to happen. I don't know if it'll be huge, if it'll be tiny, if it'll be awesome, if it'll go out of business. Who knows what's going to happen. What I know is this, is that I'm on a horse that is awesome. And that I'm on a ride that is amazing. And that I have a Lord that loves me, that will take me exactly where he wants me to go. Whatever it looks like. And I may not understand it in the middle of it, but at some point I'm going to have that M. Night Shyamalan movie moment where it's all going to make sense. And so are you. And as we worship, my encouragement to you this morning is simple. Let go of the reins. If you're lost and you don't have any idea where to start, let go of the reins. My encouragement is if you're just sitting still because you're afraid, kick, go, move. And know that as those opportunities come, that one leads to the next, to the next, to the next, and the Spirit is in the middle of all of it. And if you're scared, well, join the club. Isn't that what makes the movie awesome? I don't know how this is going to work. How is he ever going to survive this? I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. What better way to live is there than that, than flat out for the Lord? Larry, when we were at the uh, Thursday night, we rode up in the dark, fast, to the top of this mountain. We did it last year, too. It wasn't nearly as scary as it was last year to me, but just floored it up to the top of this mountain so we could look out over this overpass and see this amazing thing. And this year, we get up there to the top and we, we sing a little song and from nowhere comes this 70 mile an hour gust of wind that just blew and blew and blew. Jesus said on the day of Pentecost that there was like a mighty wind when the Spirit came. And Larry said, boys, not very many people ever get this, do this. Everybody's got the opportunity, but very few people do this. And I knew what he meant, which is anybody. Every, any one of us could go hire Larry to take us up to the top of that hill, but very few of us ever will. Jesus says that wide is the road, but narrow is the road that leads to to life, and there are few who find it, few who will take it. Jesus offered us a life that was more abundant, more exciting, more energy, more passion. Will you take it? Will you ride it? As we pray this morning, as we worship, my prayer is that you'll say, yeah, whatever it is, whatever that ride is, whatever part of the story you're in, she just recognized that, man, Jesus is in this story. He's in the Rachels. He's in the Leah's. And let him lead the way home. Father, we just ask for your wisdom, your leadership, your direction in our life. Thank you so much for calling us to live this great adventure. And Lord, I know that in this room right now, there are some of us that are in scary moments of the journey, scary moments of the story. We prayed for the LaRocca family last week, but I, I think that's, that's a scary story. But I know that there's a hero, there's a Jesus that is in this story. 
that we ought to expect a miracle and know that in the meantime that this is the ride of our lives. I know there's a room full of folks who have ridden into town looking for what God, what you have next for them. And my, just help us to have the courage to just take those steps to live life, to live it more abundantly, the one that you promised us. And someday, maybe a thousand years from now, as we sit around your throne, that we'll be able to sing righteous and true are your judgments, God. What a great story you wrote for me. What a great story you wrote for you. In Jesus' name, amen.